Hello and welcome to Take It or Leave It. It's a Christian podcast to encourage us all to implement real change in our lives based on the teachings of Jesus so that when the rapture occurs, we may all be caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the air. It's about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I'm your host, Madison Santiago. Hello and welcome to Take It or Leave It. We are continuing our study of priesthood. This is part nine. If you have not yet heard the previous podcast episodes, parts one through eight, I highly encourage you to pause this. Go listen to those. It could take several days, but that's okay. And then circle back here so you're totally caught up, okay? I want to remind you today that we are to be obsessed with Jesus, not the job we are given by him. And I will explain. We need to understand God so that we know the right work to do. If you are obsessed with your work, which many are today because they are obsessed with their ownership, their recognition, right? Their name on the flyer, all these things that surround themselves according to their work assigned by God, unless you are obsessed with Jesus, you'll be unable to hear God. When you are obsessed by the work, you cannot hear God. And today, many are obsessed over their ownership of their job rather than being obsessed with getting to know Jesus more. They make it about them and their social media platforms rather than the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that having a social media platform in a presence is wrong. What I am saying is that when that presence begins to possess you and Jesus does not, that's wrong. We've been studying the mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry for the abominations in this world. We also learned how we are spiritual Jews, remember? And we highlighted that if God speaks of Jews in the Bible, we should consider that for ourselves, right? Because we are spiritual Jews. So if God said it to them, he's saying it to us. He's saying it to you and me. And we learn that we need to ensure we have the mark on our heads and that not all Bible verses apply to me, right? Unless I am a true follower of Jesus. You cannot just take one verse and believe it for you because it's a wonderful promise of God if you don't qualify to be a true servant of Jesus, If you don't qualify, that verse is not for you. That promise is not for you. Salvation is not for you. And that's what Jesus says, not me. We've also been discussing in Ezekiel 9 verse 5 where it discussed the order from God about going after those in the city and kill. We discussed how God commands to kill. And it's true. He told the six men with the deadly weapon, told them not to spare anyone. Don't show any pity. And today, many claim that they live for God. But if we study what they do each day, it's likely that that won't add up. Okay? They're serving the God that says, my love is for everyone. I pick you no matter what you are saved. Act how you want. And that's not true. There is a God that comes to divide, a God that orders to kill. And that is the God that we read about in the Bible. We must know all of him and not pick and choose the parts that we want to believe. Most today are walking on the wide path and they're living in their own deception and their own modern God that they created. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? A person will reveal themselves by how they live. So God said, do not leave anyone alive or have pity who does not have the mark. He also says, utterly slay old and young men and women and children. There's no mercy. God said, do not come near 
anyone that has the mark. Why? Because those are his possessions. So it's understood that the mark is visible from far away, right? Because they can't even come near to those who are marked by God. Isn't that wonderful? The six who bring death do not need to get close. And we talked about this when God says, touch not my anointed. And we discussed Moses for an example. Moses was anointed and he never missed a task by God. He moved with urgency and God still was displeased with Miriam and Aaron, who were also servants of God for speaking against their appointed leader. Now in the last episode, I highlighted Miriam because it seems as though she did more of the talking, but both Miriam and Aaron were at fault. All right. We also read in Psalm 105, uh, specifically 105 verse 13, where it says, when they went from one nation to another, from one king to another people, they means those marked. One nation to another is referring to movement from one place, from one culture to another people, right? One people to another people. Missions. Verse 14, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes. And now next, God says, don't touch my people. Remember this? Verse 15, saying, do not touch my anointed ones. Right? We just talked about this. And do my prophets no harm. When we reviewed this in the last episode, we discussed Abraham. He wandered from place to place. In Genesis, he journeyed to Egypt. Right? He wandered. God permitted no one to do them any wrong. And God protected Abraham and his family during this time. God protected Sarai from Abimelech. Let's read about that really quickly. This is a commonly known story, uh, but it's good to revisit, right? Let's read how God protected Abraham and his family. I'm reading in Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse 1, and it says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. In Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You see, Abraham here was afraid to say that Sarah was his wife because if he did, they would kill Abraham, right? They would kill him to free Sarah from the marriage, Sarai, so Abimelech could marry her. So he said that was his sister. It was kind of a lie. And we'll explain why it's kind of later. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. In verse 6, and God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. And then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? 
But Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, that they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. This is where I share that this is kind of a lie. Right? Because he actually told the truth. He just didn't share that he was also married to her. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everyone. Thus she was rebuked. Do you see how God made it so that Abraham and his family were provided for? They arrived to this land poor, and they are leaving taken care of. Right? Abimelech gave them so much. Why? Because Abraham is anointed. Right? And God promises that he will provide. Verse 17, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He continues to cover his anointed today, just as he covered Abraham. He continues to keep them from harm. This will be true forever. If you are a servant of God, you actually don't have to wonder if you have favor and you shouldn't. You will see the evidence of his favor in your life because it's the same God. Amen. Today, we walk in anointing of the Holy Spirit, right? If the Holy Spirit lives in you, we walk in the anointing. He will live in and protect those who live for Jesus forever. The warning in Ezekiel 9 should bring fear to those who read it, who are not indwelled in living in God. If you are living the same way as you did before, meaning you have not changed, you should be afraid. If you are doing wrong by God and continue to do it, you really haven't repented. Don't deceive yourself. Wrong doesn't mean crimes, okay? It just means to live the same way for the world, not obeying God. You should be able to reflect and examine yourself to tell if you've really repented for your sins. And fear should come to those who are working out their own salvation to ensure that they get the mark, the guarantee of our salvation. When we live for God, we don't need to fear the six men who carry the battle axe. We don't need to fear the deadly weapon because we serve God. And as we read about the marking on the foreheads provided to those that are truly serving God, to be marked as God's possession. The verses that we've read aren't the only times mentioned in the Bible. It's also mentioned in Revelation 7, and I'll read it now. In verse 1, it says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of earth, which is what? North, south, east, and west, right? Holding the four winds of the earth, that the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. So these angels, they were going to cut the air supply. Why? Because destruction was coming to earth. This is a vision. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east. Okay, so we have four angels. This is a fifth angel coming from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Okay, so God ordered this. He said, do not harm the earth, the sea, and the trees till, right? So do it, but not yet, until 
we, meaning the fifth angel was not alone, have sealed the servants of God on their forehead. So the fifth angel arises. He is the one who will seal. But this verse says we, so we understand that more than one is sealing the servants of God on their foreheads. Amen. When you actually look at a map, you can understand that the angel doesn't come from the U.S. because that's the West. It doesn't come from Greenland nor Australia, right? Because that's actually Southeast. When you look at the East Hemisphere, you'll see nations like Malaysia. What does this mean? Well, there's going to need to be a big move in Asia. It could be a war. It's going to be chaos. That's what we can see coming out of this. Pray in the spirit, right? Open your eyes in the spirit. So more than two places mention the mark on the foreheads. Before the world is destroyed, an angel will rise up from the east to ensure the servants are marked before the destruction comes. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about those who are marked on the forehead some more as we've been reading in Ezekiel 9. We revisited that a little while ago, and this isn't exactly priesthood, right? But it focuses on priests, so it's good for us to understand what we're talking about. Judgment begins in the church where people are the most accountable due to the word of God that they hear. They actually stand in the pulpit and preach the word of God. Priests are appointed to lead the people. So Ezekiel 9 is about judgment. Who's inside the sanctuary? Priests. You and I, all of us, are all priests of different capacity. We are called to lead others to be reconciled with God, so we ought to know him. Let's review a little bit more. Jesus' prayer for earth was, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus wanted earth to match up to heaven one day. Right? That earth will become like heaven. And in Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 7, it says, And when you pray, this is Jesus talking, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. So God confirms here that he does not enjoy hearing many words that mean the same thing. Jesus says it's useless. Verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore pray, O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We also know that in Matthew 6.33, we are to seek the kingdom of God, and it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So disciples, this is for disciples. It's conditional upon if you are a disciple or not. Only the needs of disciples are taken care of and only disciples get the promise of God. Why? Because they work in the kingdom of God. We've studied this, but do you remember what the kingdom of God is? We discussed this previously in Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 26 and read through verse 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Okay, so we have two components in the kingdom of God. We've got the man, right? And we have the seed. 27, and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. So the man doesn't even need to water the seed. God takes care of it. Verse 28, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So there is a man and 
there's a job that the man has to do, right? Scattering seeds. There's a specific meaning of the kingdom of God, which is a man scattering seeds, right? Now, it doesn't mean women can't scatter seeds, okay? It's just man scattering seeds, all right? Women can scatter seeds too, all right? I don't want anyone to get confused. The kingdom of God is an investment of time and money, your time and your money. You give what you have, not from what others give you, okay? If you give, you receive from God. Give from what you have, which is Jesus's teaching. Remember when Jesus was challenged by many who were hungry, and I want you to remember this. The disciples only had food for themselves. And what did Jesus say? Jesus asked, what do you have? You see, it started with what they already had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took it to the father and we know what happened, right? It was multiplied. Amen. Okay. So the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seeds. It's so much work. Again, an investment, time, money. The kingdom of God is actually about losing. It really is about losing. And I'll explain. What I mean is the action of seeking God is about subtraction from your personal life. You lose time for yourself in your flesh because you want to sow seeds. And today, Satan has it flipped. He has the church deceived. Maybe not all, but many. That in order to gain, the church must gain rather than subtract. According to Satan, he teaches the people to be prosperous and to be a prosperous church. You must have many tithes, which means you have many members. But that's not what God teaches. The kingdom of God is the world. All people, nice, mean, good, bad, they need to be restored to God. The ground that man should be scattering the seed is a clear vision from God. But today, many blur the vision because men and women do not want to sacrifice their personal lives for God's glory. They want to make excuses as to why they want to do the things they want to do rather then serve him with fear and trembling. Do you think these people get the mark? You know, the Bible confirms that God so loved the world. The world belongs to Satan and it must be reconciled to God. Jesus prayed for that. He loves and cares for all, even those who speak evil of you. Souls are valuable regardless of the condition of the person. Souls are the same value of the rich person, of the poor person, disabled or healthy. All souls must be restored. And God loves the world, but it does not mean that he saves all. Right? He is a strict God with a standard. And he teaches us it. And it is up to you and I to work out our own salvations, to ensure that we line up, rightly dividing the scripture. Amen. So who has the mark on their forehead? God loves all again, but he won't save all. The mark is not for those who have consistent church attendance or consistently meet ministry requirements only. It's for the one who sighs and cries for the abominations of this world. And God is perfect, remember? So he provided perfect instructions that we ought to follow. Jesus defines sighing and crying and what it should be for in the Bible. Are you sighing and crying for the right thing? Will it get you the mark? We have to make sure that we are examining ourselves and that we line up with the word of God. You get the mark when you sigh and cry over the abominations of the world. Amen? I want to go ahead and circle back to Ezekiel 9. I'm going to start in verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, 
through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. So to others he said, In my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Okay, so God said, begin at my sanctuary, not because the congregation is excused, but it starts with those who are the most accountable, those who are the most guilty. It will start from the top down, from the leader, then to the deacons and deaconesses, right? All the way down to the congregation. Remember, leaders are accountable to lead others to Christ by preaching the true word of God in all of it. All right, you've got to preach all of it. Today, too many leaders are taking shortcuts in the church. They purchase 1,001 sermons and they microwave it for the people every Sunday. Microwave teachings. Is that what God taught? I also want to remind you of what we read recently in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that in our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So when this verse says we groan, that's sigh and cry. Why would someone cry? Unless you are after the heart of God, you will not understand the burden. We must observe God and seek him first. Someone who is after the heart of God develops and demonstrates the relations between that source, right? If you're after the heart of God, you will demonstrate your relationship with God. We as children will not understand God without our constant seeking him. If there is no connection, you won't know how to sigh and cry for the things that make God sigh and cry. Does that make sense? You can think of it this way too. A wife who loses her husband, okay? Do you sigh and cry with the wife like she does? No. Why not? Because you are not connected to the husband like the wife is. We should not guess if we're doing things right, okay? People in church today, they want to fire their gun to make the noise. But did they even hit God's target? No, they're just guessing, right? They're operating of man's agenda, Many will see a church firing on all fronts and they'll think, wow, what a great church. Look at all those members. But that church is accountable if it really is moving in the will of God. Surely they hit their own target, right? The one that they crafted for themselves. But do they hit God's? God is after the one who is after him, like David. David was after the heart of God. You know, the people in Jerusalem, they didn't have the means to do anything because they were captive by Babylon. And today we are better because we're free to serve, right? We're free to serve God and to move in the sighing and crying of our hearts. So I ask you today, are you burdened by the world? If you said yes and your heart matches what your mouth says, then the mark is for someone like you. If you are sighing and crying at the abominations in this world only, Servants are moving to help others be reconciled to God, sighing and crying because of the abominations of this world. 
We all must have a relationship with Jesus to understand the heart of Jesus. And you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm going to work out mine with fear and trembling. This is shared with the love of the Lord. And this is Take It or Leave It. God bless you all.